show number 165 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Good evening, America. Something extraordinary has happened, and it's spreading. I'm here at the William Shatner Global Headquarters, what scientists are calling the epicenter of this massive event. At this point, no details have been what? confirmed by the authorities. What? One moment, one moment. This just in. They're calling it chateauetry. Chateauetry? What is that? Ah. Chateauetry. What is that? Ah. It just cracks me up every time I see it because it's it's so Bill. Yes. It's just him being completely over the top. Chateauetry, well, we don't know what it is yet. But we have some guesses. Um, we think it's something to do with poetry. Maybe. Maybe. I think, I read an article, there was an interview with Bill where he was talking about things he has coming up, and he said, I'm going to be doing a podcasting. <laughs> and then he said to the interviewer, do you know what that is? I guess. <laughs> So I think that may be the name of Bill's podcasting, or the name of the app, which the may also be yeah. his podcasting. That's true. So it remains to be seen what Chateauetry is, but it's a Twitter account that you can follow. It's also something that they're asking for you to use as a Twitter hashtag when you submit your, your suggestions or your guesses mm -hmm. as to what Chateauetry actually is. But it's his thing now. It's his thing, what he's promoting. <laughs> could be anything. Yes, knowing Bill, it could be anything. Now, I had a couple of ideas I told you about earlier. One was that um, it's going to be a big auction. Mm -hmm. And the, the winner, either Bill cuts off one of his baby toes <laughs> oh. and sends it to them, and, you know, uh -huh. they use it to build a, another house in New Orleans, or Bill comes over and sucks your toes. That would be all right. That yeah. would be fine. Yeah. Um, it's probably likely going to be some kind of spoken word thing. It would be awesome if it was Bill reading poetry. Yes. That would be just wonderful. With bongos. With bongos, just like he did on the Conan O'Brien show. That would be great. Yes. But we don't know because they haven't said what chateauetry is. I know. We're, we're on pins and, and needles. needles. Yes. As we're recording this, Bill is at the uh, London convention, whatever it's called, mm -hmm. uh, and he hasn't revealed anything about Chateauetry at the convention as far as we know. Not that we've heard. No, but it, he It's a big something. deal. All five captains are together. Yeah, yeah. And Bill's being his usual Bill self and walking into Avery Brooks and <laughs> <laughs> just saying stuff. Anyway, so Chateauetry, just want to put you all on alert. It's kind of funny because when um, we, in our last real show, we talked about people writing Shatner poetry. And then here's Bill doing yes. the poetry. That's quite a lot of overlap right mm -hmm. there. I think, you know. You think he listened to the show and then thought maybe about it? So. Maybe so. Or one of his minions did. <laughs> one of his many minions. At Shatner Global Headquarters. <laughs> which we, we both feel should be Shatner Galactic, Intergalactic. Intergalactic Headquarters, yes. Intergalactic Playboy Headquarters. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so, Chateauetry, we'll give you an update on that as soon as we know anything else that's happening, for sure. So we watched an episode because uh, we both sort of went, oh, it's Saturday night and Star Trek is on. Let's watch it on television. Yes. So tonight's episode was The Paradise Syndrome, which is the Miramani episode, mm -hmm. which we, we think we've talked about before. I, I'm sure we have. Yeah. And uh, we were both noticing somewhat different things than I think we've talked about mm -hmm. in previous shows. So this was the remastered edition, which looked really good, and the uh, asteroid thingy looked pretty impressive. Yes, it, that say. was very well done. Yep, and of course the Enterprise looked very nice zipping through space. Mm -hmm. And then um, they also did a good job making the obelisk look more imposing and oh, alien-y. Yeah. That and was cool. Shiny. And shiny. It looked shiny and greenish. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. Um, let's see, what were the salient points we wanted to make? First of all, as we know in syndication, they do make oh, yes. cuts. Yes. This had 
to me, a, a, a huge cut, I mean a large chunk of time that more or less guts the episode, yeah. which is there's the scene after he's married Miramani and they're chasing each other through the trees and they start kissing and he talks about his dreams. And he you has know. his shirt off. Yes. <laughs> he talks about his dreams of you know, the lodge that moves through the sky and everything. And then they instantly cut to the skies are darkening, Kiraki, mm -hmm. you must go save the people. And I went, okay, they totally cut the end of that scene where she told him, I bear your child. Mm -hmm. And they cut a whole scene earlier when he was explaining to her how the lamp he, he's making mm -hmm. works and irrigation, how yep. they can irrigate the crops. And they cut the iconic scene of him dancing around on top of the obelisk going, I'm so happy. Yeah, I mean, he was standing there and he was going, you know, the voiceover going, this is great or whatever, yeah. but they didn't have, and they had him hug himself, but where he throws his arms in and goes, I'm so happy. Yeah. You know, and so it's just like, oh, so that was just really. It's very disappointing. Because that is, a, to me, a particularly well-constructed episode. Mm -hmm. And at the end, as you said, it really guts it because when she dies, mm -hmm. the whole thing about her being pregnant, you know, it's gone. You wouldn't know it. Mm -hmm. There's just no knowledge of that at all because it's not confirmed by anybody else through the whole thing. Right, right. It's just her. Yeah. And also in that the scene where she tells him she's pregnant, they kiss, and she says, each kiss is as the first. Yeah. And then she repeats it as she's dying, so it's like. Yep. Oh, so that was bad timing. This is a disaster. It was a disaster. Um, the good things that we did notice, which I mentioned I hadn't really seen before, is that she really plays it as being very, very sexually interested in him right from the very beginning. Oh, which is yeah. Awesome. And including the scene where she's trying to get him to take a bath and then trying to figure out how to get his shirt off. And then sort of her hands are hovering around him like she really wants to get her hands on it. Mm -hmm. And then. But she's afraid to touch him. She's afraid God. to touch him. Yeah. Um, and then it seems very clear that they sleep together before they get married because it wakes up with him laying on the floor and she's right there dressed yes. in different clothes and everything. So I, I think that's pretty clear. It's funny because, um, you know, there's a couple of people have made a website. There's one in particular that actually goes through like um, all of the women that he's, Kirk has kissed and then all of the women that he's slept with mm -hmm. where it's really unambiguous that he slept right. with them. And there's only a few where it's really unambiguous and one of them is um, in uh, Wink of an Eye. Right when he's putting his boots on. And I think this is, is very, very clear also. And I don't remember this being in that list. Well, since she's pregnant, it's obvious. But that's after they're married. Yes, but yes. before they're married, I mean, yeah. I think when he's waking up right there, that seems really clear that Speaking of wink of an eye, this came to me the other night, so yeah. we're getting a little off topic. But um, one of the things that, that fans always say about it is the scene where he's pulling his boots on and they're going, how did that get past the censors? Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's like one of the first comments you always get. How did they let that one slip by? The thing to me is that, for all of its context connotations, yes, they did it, is not as blatant and jaw-dropping as when Lenore Caridian <laughs> says, the ship is surging, <laughs> throbbing. <laughs> Are you like that? It's like, how, how did they let Bye. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Does yeah. milky liquid squirt out your head? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's... <laughs> what? So I just wanted to bring that up. That's true. You know, in, the, in that particular scene in Wink of an Eye, I have to say, even more than him pulling on his boots is her fixing her hair in the mirror. I know. That's so post-sex. It's like, oh, let me fix my hair where yes. you messed it up while we were fucking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So, yeah, the cut's not good, but it was fun to see him looking good and being shirtless and wearing really tight pants. Mm -hmm. That was good, too. And then I think we had pointed out the last time we watched it that the first scene of this episode where Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are sort of lounging around the woods. Because <laughs> they are. Yeah. They're just, like, aimlessly wandering. Going in there, it's all pretty. Yeah, Kirk is really, really... Um, showing. I don't know if he had half a heart on or what. But well, the first time we amazing. talked about this, um, you went and did a bunch of screen caps of that and we posted them. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. So it was very, very obvious. Even, yes. even more so than usual. Well, remastering. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's clear. Very, very clear. 
Um, we wanted to make one, this is a disaster point, which is that uh, when uh, Miramani says to, to Kirok, you have to go to the temple and make the blue flame come out the top and stop the thing, whatever, destroying the planet. And then they actually do get the obelisk to work. It's not a blue flame that comes out mm -hmm. the top. It's so orange. Yeah. It's ready orange. Yeah, and it seems to me before they remastered, it was a bluish white. I think it was. I, I had that yeah. in my head. Yeah. yeah. So. Also, I also oh. want to point out a, a. This is a disaster on the part of Mr. Spock, so-called science <laughs> officer. So they go after the asteroid. They aim at its weak spot. They shoot everything they've got at it, and nothing happens. And so then his plan is to just, you know, stay near the asteroid until they can regenerate enough power mm -hmm. to blast it to bits. And I was going, well, why don't you take the little bit of power you've got and just slice off small bits of it, which might change its course, mm -hmm. but certainly might make it a lot easier to deflect. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they didn't do that to start with. Why don't they throw photon torpedoes at it and just blow it up out there in space. They could do that too. There's a lot of things that they could have done. I mean, it's funny that um, this is the theme of this episode because there's been a lot of talk recently about what we here on Earth, we Terrans, should do if an asteroid actually mm -hmm. started coming towards Earth. Like, there's not a lot you can do at this mm -hmm. point because we just don't have the technology. Oh, we're going to shoot nuclear weapons Yeah, at that's going to help. Um, <laughs> But they were saying, you know, one of the problems with trying to blow things up in space is that you blow something up, but the pieces are still coming at you really fast. <laughs> That's true. It's not like in an atmosphere where you blow stuff up and then gravity pulls it to the ground mm -hmm. or there's an atmosphere and things go out. It's just you're blowing it up, but the pieces are still moving towards That's you. That's true. Now it's just a bunch of the, little things, yeah. but still. Instead of one big thing killing you, it's a lot of small things that are <laughs> going to kill you. So that's not really an option. Um, <laughs> you, you really need to deflect it, which was a good idea. But yeah, if they had, as you said, if they had made it smaller or changed its shape, that could have um, uh, affected the trajectory right. much more easily than what they were trying to do. Yeah. yeah. So the weird thing was, though, like, this happens a lot where this planet is, where they need to, to have mm -hmm. an obelisk for asteroids. Like, that was a bad place for the preservers to drop off a civilization in an, a place where there's a lot of asteroids coming well, the planet. Well, in a way, it was. But I was also thinking about that, and I was thinking, well, uh, granted, in Star Trek, they're always running into Class M planets and everything, but maybe there you know, were limited options as to where you could actually put them. And maybe we don't know what the motivation of the preservers was to go around you know, seeding these planets mm -hmm. with primitive people, but maybe part of it was that there was something like the Cylons hunting down humanity. Mm -hmm. And a place you'd think, oh, well, they wouldn't put them there. There's too many asteroids. Maybe that was actually like a good hiding place mm, for them. It could be, I suppose. It just seems really dangerous. Well, yes. What with the asteroids coming to smack right. into the planet. Right, and the, the, the whole idea of passing down this technological secret through oral tradition, which yes. is 100% accurate <laughs> over generations. Right, and, and the fact that... Um, in the episode we're seeing, this was the first time that it happened that the dude died before he could pass down the information mm -hmm. to his son. Like, you got to think that would have happened at least a couple of times before. Right. People die all the time, mm -hmm. especially in primitive societies where they don't know how to give CPR. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was nice to see it, and he, oh, looked, yes. he looked so happy. And he has his bushy sideburns. And his bushy sideburns. And he looked so happy. Well, he was. Oh, and his arm was all muscular and everything. Oh, God, oh, yes. And his pants were really tight. <laughs> I liked when he first came to in the obelisk and had amnesia, and the voiceover is going, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> and you went, I know I'm good looking. <laughs> I feel good looking. I like this body. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I have to point out, yet of course, you know, almost none of the people playing the people on the planet look anything like real American Indians, but Salish especially. And I finally figured out what I think he looks like, which is a New York cab driver. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he does. I, I agree with that. 
it was a weird episode. I wonder why they chose Native Americans of, of all, like, recognizable ethnic groups, I suppose. Well, what, what were they going to use? What would you suggest? I, uh, the Pleasant Peasants from I Love Lucy? No, I, I don't know. They could have been, I don't know. It, it was just, you know, let's make an exotic society. Okay, let's pick Native Americans. Well, <laughs> you, you know, part of it you might say, well, wouldn't like Tahitians be a lot better? But if they were actually going to go film outdoors, uh, California looks more like that's true. where ancient Indians yeah. would live than you know Tahitians yeah, or um, I, you're right. Eskimos. Yeah, they had to pick something that they could film close by right. cheaply. So they went for it's like, well, we're in California. What what humans were here? Well, there were Native Americans here. Okay, yeah, we'll do we'll that. use them. We'll yeah. use them. Yeah. yeah. But um, you pointed out that the the women had really odd looking knee socks on. Mm -hmm. Those didn't really look Native American. Yeah, really. Yeah, I would have liked. They to looked have like they came from the Gap. <laughs> the I Gap for aliens. I wanted to get a better look at the fruit that they had on those mm -hmm. serving trays to see exactly what was on there. Because if there was like pineapple and stuff on there, that would have been a disaster. That would have been. <laughs> it's probably leftover fruit from what they brought Vayal <laughs> on the neighboring planet. I think it was leftover from craft services. They. <laughs> <laughs> that way. Oh, that's funny. Um, wasn't there a role in this episode? Didn't Kirk do a role? A shoulder roll? Yeah, down the stairs. Oh, that's right. He rolled down the it stairs. It was amazing. <laughs> when he fell into the obelisk. He did. I have to say, Bill did a really good take when He's standing on top of the obelisk at the beginning, and he says, Kirk, to Enterprise, and the thing is supposed to open beneath mm -hmm. his feet, and he's supposed to go down. Now, clearly, that didn't happen. Right. But he did a very good job of portraying someone very surprised that the <laughs> ground has suddenly disappeared. <laughs> he went down, his eyes opened up, and he, yep. he crouched down very quickly. So that was funny. That made me laugh. Mm -hmm. Well, Bill always does a good job. He always does a yes. good job. And the ending was, was good, and as you pointed out, it was so nice that they let the ending of this episode be focused on Kirk and Miramani. Yes. Uh, and not back to the bridge and laughing about it or something. Right, right. I've always loved the ending of that. It's very tender. Yeah. It's not overplayed. No. It, it's, it's very heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's really wonderful, too, that now he's got his memory back. And he knows who he is, but he still remembers his life with her and everything. And that he says to her, I love you always. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's really good. No no implication of no woman can take the place of my ship. And really, in this episode, the ship is more of a duty and a burden yeah. than a, a beloved. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. You know, this, this would have been one of those things where in future episodes, it could have been good to have a call back to this mm -hmm. a little bit because it was one time when we see Kirk being really happy. Yes. And unfortunately, as episodic TV was in those days, it never gets mentioned again. Right, right. You know. Well, that's part of, of why Wrath of Khan is so wonderful. I mean, that established an immediate connection with the series, mm -hmm. with an important event in the series, in a way that just having them on the Enterprise and b mm -hmm. having the same names and everything didn't. And I think that that really did set up this continuity of, yes, these characters are older now, but you know, there are still consequences to your actions, mm -hmm. something you, you rarely saw on episodic yeah. TV. I think that Wrath of Khan just was a major step mm -hmm. and what really put the franchise back on its feet as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. I think that's right, and I think they they learned from that when they got to TNG, especially mm -hmm. after the first two or three seasons, that it was okay to have stuff be continuing, mm -hmm. and that they could reference back to older episodes and right. talk about characters that had been on before or experiences that they'd had, that it wasn't just episodic, it mm -hmm. became more of a continuing storyline. Right. It would have been interesting if, if the original series had had more of that, if they'd been allowed to do more of that, mm -hmm. or if that had been sort of the style, rather than just each episode being a one-off, with, with a very few things being continual. But in a way, you can tell how afraid they were of it by um, letting Rand go. 
Yeah. Because they were so afraid that in, in viewers' eyes a relationship would be developing there. Yeah. And they wanted him to be the, the you know, pussy hound of the galaxy. <laughs> well, he was. Well, he was, yeah, but, but it wouldn't look so good if he had a regular girlfriend back yeah. on the ship. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I think people really love, and, and there's such good episodes like having Harry Mudd come back. That was mm -hmm. a brilliant idea, right? Yeah. He was a perfect character for the second episode, mm -hmm. and they were able to... Um, compress a lot of backstory mm -hmm. about him by just referencing the previous episode without having to explain everything all over again. Um, I was reading, I guess it was the, the Trek BBS the other day, and I ran across something interesting about Trouble with Tribbles. Somebody said that they believed, like in an early version of it, or as it was first pitched mm -hmm. to the network, instead of, well, you know, it was written for Harry Mudd, mm -hmm. but even before that, before it was going to be Harry Mudd, it was going to be this this alien that that brought them, and it, it just an, an innocent, unknowing alien that had no idea what the implications hmm. of the Tribbles would be. Hmm. That's interesting. I would have to go back and, and reread David Gerald's book to see mm -hmm. about that, because he gives a very complete history. I'm of, sure he does. Um, his idea for the script and how it developed, and it's been years since I read that book, so I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that was fun. Shall we take a break? Yes, let's take a break. And then we've got loads more stuff to talk about. Oh, we do in indeed. The second half. Loads more stuff. Ah. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Got a question, comment, or suggestion? Email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com and comments at lookathisbutt at blogspot.com. This podcast recorded on a MacBook Pro with GarageBand. And we're back. Hello, listeners. We're back with Jack the Podcasting Dog. He is sitting between us, and he is so happy to have his Lena here. Yes. And, you know, getting all the attention. And being snuggly. And being snuggly. He is. So if you hear any jingling, it's because he moved around and his dog <laughs> tags, you know, make a little noise. But I don't think that's going to be a problem. No, I don't think so. So. So we have so much to talk about. <laughs> I mean, it's been less than, oh no, a little more than 24 hours mm -hmm. since we saw the collected works of William Shatner yes. abridged. And so now we're back in Chicago, mm -hmm. and we're together. We have many things we're going to talk about uh, later on in this show and probably subsequent show. We're going to be watching things and commenting on yes. them. And it's, it's just so exciting for us to be together it is. doing it. The old-fashioned old way. The old-fashioned way, the way we used to. And, of course, during the time that we were traveling and doing all of our things, Bill was in London at the Star Trek, big Star Trek convention that they were having there. And, you know, when Bill's at a convention, there's constant news. Mm -hmm. There's just stuff happening all the time that people are reporting on. Yes, and um, he's tweeting. And he's tweeting. There was a lot of stuff happening on Twitter, and we were reading them in the airport and being very amused at things that he was saying and things that he was tweeting. Yes. So where do you want to start? Um, well, you have the list. I do. I do have the list. Let's see. Here's the first thing. Um, Nichelle Nichols. Oh, yes. Now, this has nothing to do with the con, <clears throat> but this is an, an interview I found online. It appears to be fairly recent. Mm -hmm. Very interesting because, first of all, Nichelle talks about the new Star Trek, mm -hmm. and there are some very good quotes, and she says that she was the first to approach J.J. Abrams with, oh, I would love to do this. Maybe I could be Uhura's mother. Ooh. And Abrams thought it was a great idea. And then somebody leaked it. And she insists it was not her. But because Abrams is so secretive, um, it fell through. Huh. And especially because all the other people, like... Um, Chekhov and, and Takei and everybody were like, I want to do it, I want to do it. So, you know, so she didn't get to do it. 
and it kind of sounds like she hasn't seen the movie. <laughs> but the interviewer says to her, well, she's very aware of, uh, of fans and their, their reactions. Mm -hmm. And the interviewer says something like, well, they say it's an alternate universe, and she said, fans don't live in an alternate universe. <laughs> Another thing she brought up is in, um, let's see, the uh, Star Trek VI, mm -hmm. where they have Uhura not being able to speak mm -hmm. Klingon. She says she fought against this. Yes, I was just looking at that part of the interview, and she says, uh, she told the director, wait a minute, why are you doing this scene with me? I should be the one telling them. Um, and the director, Nicholas Meyer, uh, she says, he was adamant, and I said, this is all wrong, and we really went through it. We had to go to lunch, and it was decided, do what the director said, and I said, it's wrong. I really, really fought against that. And she also said to him, it says later in the article, you will regret this because the fans will notice. And the reason this came up is the interviewer brought it up and asked her about it. And he said, yeah, we did. You know, me and Mac or whoever my friend, when we first saw it, we were just like, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. that, that's not how it should be. Exactly. Um, the most interesting thing in the article, though, if you scroll down a little further, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you to read this paragraph. But it talks about when she very when she met William Shatner for the very first time. Do you see that? Uh, let's see. At the very beginning, uh, shall I read this? Yes. Okay. She's, uh, so the interviewer says, It seems like you and Mr. Shatner have come to terms with some of the things he did in the old days. Was it really that bad? She says, At the very beginning, like day one, this was the coolest, sweetest man, and he came to my dressing room and talked about his family. I just regarded him as a really, really cool guy, and here I am on my first important role in a series, and I adored him. And the things that happened in between didn't really involve me. I regretted, decried the changes that came over him. This was the sweetest man you ever met, the most thankful person that he had this role. That is really an excellent human being, and I think stardom when he discovered, I'm Captain Kirk, the star of the show, I think that degraded where he was coming from. The beautiful guy that he was when I first met him, I suddenly had to walk around, the star, and we all did. That was regrettable. However, in later years more recently, Bill has become almost the Bill that he was before, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm delighted to re-meet him. That's wonderful. Isn't it? And I have never heard her say that, that he was just a fantastic person, mm -hmm. and, and then he changed, and I think her analysis of why he changed is... Probably spot on. Yeah, I think so. And I'm sure that some of that, too, came out of the somewhat manufactured um, issues between him and Nimoy about who was really the star of right. the show. Right, that he had to assert himself That's as right. the That's right, exactly. And if that hadn't come up, maybe that, that aspect of his mm -hmm. personality wouldn't really have manifested itself quite so much because he wouldn't have been insecure about being the star right. of the show, which he was, mm -hmm. and them trying to push Spock so much to the right. forefront. That is very, very interesting. I remember reading an interview with Takei once, and he was saying, well, we'd shoot a scene, and then <clears throat> Bill and the producers and director would all like gather in a huddle talk, 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 and then the scene would be changed, so it was more Bill. And he goes, I just never understood that. Where, where did he get this power? And I thought, he's a fucking star of the show. <laughs> Have you never worked as an actor before? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he seemed, you know, to feel like Bill imposed this hierarchy of mm. stars and supporting characters. Like, he was the first person to ever, ever or the first situation where this ever happened anywhere in the acting world. <laughs> yeah. Again, it never happened anywhere else, and I'm going, wow. Because he never... You're really lucky if that never happened before, and watched. how incredibly naive. He never saw All About Eve, apparently. Well, apparently, <laughs> and, you know, I was very much a, an underling years ago working in a, uh, a summer, summer stock theater that brought in stars, you know, people who had been on TV and stuff, and on the first day... I made a joke that topped the joke that had just been made by Soupy Sales. And I was banished mm. to the back of the workshop for the entire week he was there. I was not allowed in the theater at all because Soupy didn't want, want someone no. around who was funnier than he was. No, of course. I mean, that, that's, that's why you hire those people because mm -hmm. that's, that's what their job is. And as much as... I think they all wanted it to be an ensemble cast. It kind of was, but it kind of wasn't. Because yeah. 
Bill's name was first in the credits, and they hired him to be the captain of the ship. And mm -hmm. then he had two co-stars, so it was really the three of them and then everybody else. That's right. You know, it wasn't like Cheers. No. Or Seinfeld. Or TNG. Yeah, it wasn't like that at all. No, oh. no. So, well, that's a very interesting interview. Isn't it? Yep. Yes. So I'm glad I ran across that, I oh, thought. She's great. She, she always has interesting things to say. Mm -hmm. She's a very intelligent woman. And I like that she talked, you mentioned several times in here, the fans and how the fans mm -hmm. react. And, and uh, she seems to be one of the people who really is very aware and credits the fans for their involvement mm -hmm. and the, the way Star Trek has been and the changes it's been through because of the fans and what they demanded of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She, and she's always been, um, the times that, that we've seen her and seen her sort of doing her thing in person, she's always just so gracious and so interested in people and, you know. And so basking yeah. in the spotlight yeah. and in in their applause in this really warm, wonderful yeah. way. Not this phony, oh, for me sort of thing. It's like she's accepting her due, but you love her for yeah. it. Yeah, she's just great. Yeah. So at the London convention, yeah. all five captains were there and Bill was all over the place doing everything. Of course. Um, talking to people, running around the stage, walking into people. Now, you watched a little clip before I heard it um, about, they were interviewing fans about who was their favorite captain. Yes, and the funny thing is, um, you know, there was a couple who was there from Indianapolis, Indiana, and people came from all over the world to this London thing. It was the first time all five captains were together in Europe. But most of the fans here talking to is British, and so I'm just cracking up because I'm used to seeing American fans in their costumes saying their things, and it just for me takes on a whole nother amusing dimension when they're British and like mm -hmm. when you know when a Klingon goes, yeah, you know, we're not super fans. I mean, what <laughs> is a super fan? We're fans. You're the fan or you're not. You know, <laughs> just just cracks me up. Oh. But um. There, there's a woman there who is running some sort of booth um, and saying she's traveled all over the world to mm -hmm. go to Star Trek conventions. And um, she holds up this book of hers. I don't know if it's a book she wrote or whatever. And I just met William Shatner and had him sign it, you know, and just, just really, really wonderful and fun. And they were so obviously having a great great time. Yeah, it seems like it was a, a really popular convention. A yeah. lot of people dressed up. Well, they were trying, we'll get to this in a later thing, but mm -hmm. they were trying, they deliberately put it out there. They wanted to break the world's record for number of people in costumes. Wow. So people really, who normally would not, you know, made the effort apparently. That's amazing. Um, some of the highlights were, um, let's see, the captains were asked if they believe in alien life. They all do. Uh, the lists of their favorite books and what they would be doing if they were not actors. If they could add anything to their captain's chair, what would it be? Uh, Patrick Stewart said, a Twitter account, and <laughs> Shatner says, a toilet. <laughs> I would love to know how they answered on that favorite books thing. I, I would like to see that too. It's not quoted in this article. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, most embarrassing fan moment, and Shatner says, the lady that brought out her left breast to be signed, who he happily obliged with that. <laughs> of course he did. Um, Scott Bakula, who played Jonathan Archer, admits that he has yet to experience an embarrassing fan. So the host of this panel, who is John Barrowman, who's been on uh, Doctor Who and Torchwood, leaps across the stage and pulls down his jeans so the former Quantum Leap star can sign his right buttock. <laughs> <laughs> and you informed me that that's John Barrowman's thing, is pulling his pants pulling down. Pulling his pants down. So. He always wears interesting underwear. I think he was wearing like oh. Batman underwear at Comic-Con and he oh. pulled down his pants so everybody could see it. How funny. And he has a really nice butt too. So Good. Good. It's well. good. It's good. Um, let's see. One fan even asked the captains to sing Happy Birthday. It results in a particularly rousing rendition from Patrick Stewart, Shatner, and Kate Mulgrew. I can just imagine Bill singing Happy Birthday. Oh. It must have been awful. Oh, uh, horrendous and totally, you know, out there like an opera star. <laughs> you know, well, that, that's Bill. You know, if he's going to sing Happy Birthday, by God, he's going to sing, sing Happy Birthday. He is the ultimate yes and. Oh, he is. He absolutely is. This article says the atmosphere is a cross between a concert, a political rally, and an evangelical gathering. Woohoo! 
That's a very strange mixture. Oh, that's great. Well, and the other thing I believe is this con was entirely devoted to Star Trek. Yes. I think it was called Trek to London it, or something. Something, yeah. And there are almost none, no actual Star Trek conventions mm -hmm. anymore. There's sci-fi and media conventions and, you know, fantasy and comic yeah. book conventions, yep. which Star Trek people appear at mm -hmm. and go to and it all overlaps, but this one was exclusively Star Trek. Mm -hmm. oh, it was called Destination Star Trek London. Yes, and I have to tell you, I think it was Trek today, somebody had a contest going where you won two tickets and VIP passes oh, wow. to London and, and everything, and you could only enter once, and I entered, and mm. I was just so praying that you and I would be going, but we didn't win. Some some guy some won. Some guy won, yeah. typical. Now, I'm looking at this article that you were just referring to, <clears throat> which says that um, Star Trek fans have made history by breaking the record for the largest gathering of people dressed as characters from the TV series. There were an estimated 1,083 costume-clad Trekkies, and they put the word Trekkies in quotes. Like, do they really need to do that? No, they don't, <clears throat> because it's part of the vernacular. It narrowly beat the previous record of 1,040 characters, which was set at the bigger annual convention in Las Vegas in August. Um, it has yet to be verified by Guinness World Records, but organizers were confident that they had to topped the Las Vegas record. Well done. Let's see. Trekkie Mark Whitfield went to extreme lengths to participate, wearing a full body suit to emulate, emulate a Mugatu. Uh, they spelled Mugatu wrong. Oh. It's a disaster. <laughs> a beast from the Star Trek original series. He says, it looks silly. It's just a gorilla suit painted white with horns on it. It's very, very hot. In fact, I was on the verge of collapse when a very kind person gave me a bottle of water because I dehydrated quite badly. Oh. <laughs> it was the first live Star Trek event in Britain for over a decade. 17,000 people came. Wow. That's a lot of people. Does it say where it was in London? Like what stadium or... Uh, I can't imagine. Was that a hotel? London's Excel Center. I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. So it must have been a, a, just a regular... Like where they have Comic-Con in San yeah, Diego. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Don Harris, 26, who had created an Orion slave girl costume and painted herself metallic green, said there was great enthusiasm for the world record attempt. There just hasn't been a convention in the UK for so long. So I think everyone wants to be involved in everything as much as they can. Everybody saw that guy jump out of a plane in space, so people are drawn to things like that, she said, referring to Felix Baumgartner's record-breaking jump from a balloon near the edge of space last Sunday. Uh, let's see. Outlandish costumes were ubiquitous at the event, which saw Britain's first Klingon wedding on Friday. Cool. Uh, two people from Stockholm, Swedish people, they came in... Swedish Klingons? Came in full Klingon attire and exchanged vows in Klingon. Wow. Three-day convention also saw all five captains from the TV series appear on stage together for the first time in England. Right. <laughs> Uh, speaking ahead of the opening ceremony, the 81-year-old Shatner appeared moved when discussing the show's loyal and sometimes obsessive fans in an interview with Reuters. Quote, it's an acclamation, accumulation of a lot of work and a lot of people traveling from all over the world. It's sort of monumental in its worth, unquote. Um, I'm glad they, they mentioned Felix Baumgartner because I wanted to make a comment on that. Mm -hmm. For those of you who haven't been following it, but it was in the news like mad, Felix Baumgartner is like a daredevil yeah. who went up to the, the edge of the our edge. atmosphere yeah. and did a skydive to Earth. It's amazing. And it was just amazing. He had a special suit to, mm -hmm. to keep him alive, and, and you know it, it was just incredible. But what... The first thing that popped into my head when I heard somebody was going to do it was the original opening for Star Trek Generations. Oh yes, of course, in the book. Yeah. Yes, and it would you know it was supposed to be in the film, and they never filmed it. Was supposed to be uh, uh, Chekhov and Scotty out in the desert, mm -hmm. you know, looking at the sky, waiting and waiting for Captain Kirk, or as he was retired. Uh -huh. um, who had been doing orbital skydiving where he, you know, on his own without a spaceship, but obviously a spacesuit, orbited the Earth and then parachuted to the yeah. ground. Wasn't he supposed to be doing it with, with Picard? They were doing it together, I think. How could they have been? They, they weren't both alive at that time. Some, there was some explanation for this. I'm pretty sure that that was part of it. I might get the book out while we're on a uh, break and look okay. because I don't remember Picard being there. Okay, well... 
But it's just another thing of Star Trek coming true. It or, came true. You know, I mean, that's going to be the next step, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is a human orbiting in one of those? Yeah. You know, with, I don't know, maybe a jetpack to give him some controls, but... It was incredible. The pictures that they were taking from the inside where you could see the Earth, like uh -huh. the whole shape of the Earth in space and everything, that was amazing. And he just leaps off this little platform. Oh, my God. It was very crazy. So glad that he survived. That yes. Nothing, uh, it was not a disaster It wasn't a disaster. Anyway. It was a total wonderful achievement. Now, did you want to talk about this weird shirt that Bill's wearing? Yeah, here? this is a picture, and I thought maybe it was from the London Con because it just showed up, but I can't tell. But um, Bill is wearing a, a brown shirt that either has very wide uh, vertical bands with mm -hmm. floral thing coming down on either side of them, or suspenders. It's not suspenders. I know okay. what kind of shirt this is. Okay, I was going to say, he seems like so not a suspenders guy. In fact... I mean, what has it been, like 20 years be since we've seen him even tuck in his shirt? That's true. So this, this shirt is so classic, and I'm actually glad he's wearing it. Um, uh -huh. It's called a Gallabera shirt, and it's from Cuba. It's a, a, a Spanish design, mm -hmm. and it looks like this. It's very loose. It's meant for guys with big stomachs, mm -hmm. basically, and it has pockets down there. And some of them are sort of plain, but some of them are quite beautiful, and they have embroidery that, that runs down it. And it can be a casual shirt or it can be really like a fancy dress shirt wow. for um, guys who are going to events and stuff. But it's really loose, and it's usually made of a, a nice, thin, breathable cotton. Cause right. It's it so looks hot. like that. It looks like, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a good, lightweight, very comfortable shirt. Yeah. So these are good shirts for guys who are built sort of like Bill. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm glad he's moving into that area because it looks so much better than some of the other shirts that oh, he chooses yeah. to wear. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad it's not suspenders either. It's not suspenders. Because I've never seen suspenders that wide. <laughs> Bill in suspenders. So he's kind of getting away from the smock thing? Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> so it's a shirt, not a smock. Okay. Yeah. That'd be good. Let's see. Um, what else? Did you want to talk about the, the, um, the Star Trek apartment? Well, yeah. I didn't watch the video, but apparently there is a guy in London. Or, or where is it? Leicester? Uh, yes. Leicestershire. Okay. Leicestershire. Who has made his entire apartment into... The Starship Enterprise, From I believe TNG. T it is TNG, and we talked about this once Did before, we? yes. Okay, well now the guy, I guess, was running some scam and got caught, and now he's going bankrupt. And so that apartment may be sold or destroyed. <sighs> so, um, I don't know, maybe he needs to do a Kickstarter to save his Star Trek apartment. He, but if he's a crook, who wants to help him, you know? <laughs> it says, in 2006, he filed for bankruptcy after spending about um, 100,000 pounds to start up a company which offered Star Trek makeovers. But the scheme was funded by loans and credit cards, and he was left with debts of 166,000 pounds. Oh. Why he thought this was an actual business that he could start? Oh, so it wasn't a me. scam. It was just a bad idea. It was a really, really bad idea. Yeah. Um, and he tried to sell his flat in 2004 for 700,000 pounds. Mm. Um, but the kind of crazy thing is that um, if he has to move out of this place, he'll have to move into a regular apartment, and he says... The idea of living in, an, in a conventional environment, I have nightmares about it, and it's really scary. <laughs> okay. Well, good luck, Sorry. fellow in, in Leicestershire. Yeah. <sighs> I wonder if it makes, do you think he has it so that it makes the noises, like the fridge noises? Well, if he put that kind, you know, if I put that kind of money into it and it didn't make those noises, I mean, I wonder if he's got the little tweets and pings and Twitters going all day That's long what I mean. in the background. That's what I mean. Is that like the, the um, oral ambiance is yeah. just like being on the bridge. Yeah. Well, and the hum of the engines and stuff. Uh-huh. I don't know. Could be. Does he have it it's sort of like the... The living room furniture is on springs, so every now and then it's like you take a hit and you, know, you have to fall all over the place. Do you think he has food replicators? That would be cool. <laughs> I would pay him to come install a food replicator in my <laughs> if house. It really, if really, it really worked. worked. Yeah. I kind of doubt he has working ones because, uh, you know, then he could just start a company that did food <laughs> replicators and make a fortune. That would be great. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Uh, okay, let's see. Now, you sent me another link about William Shatner 
Yes, there's uh, two pictures that uh -huh. I sent you of Bill dressed as an umpire. Okay. And this was just a couple weeks ago. Remember Brian Evans? I remember Brian Evans. Okay. Yes. Uh, he just did a music video at Fenway Park, and the name of the the song is at Fenway or at Fenway Park, and so his friend Bill came to to be to be in the video. He plays the umpire, and they had a thing, and I posted it online on our Facebook and everything that they wanted you know people to come out and and play the extras you know be be in the stand so you'd be in this video with bill i haven't seen the video i don't know if it's been posted anywhere but there are a couple pictures yes of bill all dressed up as the umpire yeah and um one of them in particular i think is fun is the one of, of bill all alone not the one with yeah. the, the other guy but <laughs> who is brian evans <laughs> And what is his relationship to Bill? And I'm thinking he's an unacknowledged son, other than Bill always trying to help this guy get oh, his career going. Wow, that could be. I thought maybe he was just the guy who walked our dogs. I don't know. Who knows? Bill has such interesting relationships with people. You yes. Know, he just he he makes friends with them and, and um he got to be friends with the, the dude who was the um the ice skater. Yeah, Scott Hamilton. Scott Hamilton. Like, how did that happen? How did right, he get right. to be best buddies? But that's how Scott Hamilton and, and Brad Paisley got to be friends right. was through Bill. Um, you and I were just talking about this last night, I think, and we both got a huge kick out of it. Um, it was some quote from Bill about, you know, the captains and how they're all friends. And <laughs> we love that he included this. Was He goes, yeah, um, Patrick Stewart and is it? Uh, Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula and Tim Allen all come over and we watch football. It's like, so Tim Allen's one of the captains <laughs> of now. I just, I love that he is friends with him. Oh, that's awesome. But I, the thing is, all the rest of those, if you said to the average person, do you know who Scott Hamilton is? You know, they, I think a lot of people would say, yeah, Olympic ice skater, yeah. you know. And do you know who Tim Allen is? Do you know who Scott Bakula is? Yeah. Do you know who Brian Evans is? <laughs> Nobody knows who Brian Evans no. is. Despite and I'm not saying Bill doesn't have non-famous friends, mm -hmm. but usually when he does these projects, like he's in Brad Paisley's music yeah. videos and, you know, things like that, you know who it is, and it's just like he keeps doing things with Brian Evans. I don't know. It could be. I, oh, or is he a nephew, you know, like his, Bill's sister's son? I don't know. I don't know. The kid who used to cut his grass? Well, he clearly, Brian Evans clearly has fans which is evidenced by the fact that people come to see him live and mm -hmm. that people will come to Fenway Park to see a, a music video being made for a song that he has written. Mm -hmm. So he's got fans independent of being friends with Bill. And God knows why, because we've listened to his music and he is just so mediocre and mm -hmm. homogenized and brings no zing yeah. to anything. I don't know, it's really weird. Um, I wanted to just comment on the site where you uh, sent this picture uh, to me from. It has this amusing photo, and then, I don't know who wrote this copy. <laughs> <laughs> it says, so it, the picture here is Bill um, pointing like an umpire and making a really angry face. <laughs> yeah, finger, he's pointing the finger. It says, William Shatner, master thespian, isn't actually pissed. No, he's acting. He's doing what he does best, other than recording albums for a new music video with Brian Evans! Exclamation part. Brian shot the video at legendary Fenway Park in Boston for his song, At Fenway, which is a celebration about the 100 years of action the park has seen. Of course, we'll take any excuse to see Shatner shattering it up. <laughs> Lols. <laughs> it says lols. It says lols, L-O-L-S. No, Z. Z, oh God. Looks like fun. Who hasn't wanted to stick around after a Red Sox game to hang out all night with the park lights on? Too cool! Exclamation point. <laughs> Did they have someone's like, like, sixteen-year-old kid? <laughs> you know, like, I don't have time to write this. You do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just write some lols, lols. <laughs> okay, uh, but so you know when that music video. Hits whatever. I'm sure it'll show up in my Shatner oh, blast. We'll be talking about it, and we will watch it, and you know, we'll tell you what it is, and and why you should or should not. 
<laughs> join in the fun. <laughs> I'm just having a, a mental picture of Bill asking his daughter to explain lols to him. Yes. What is that? <laughs> well, she w okay, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Okay, um, let's take another little break right now and then we'll come back and do a few more things. Okay. Poetry Corner. Chateauetry <laughs> Corner, to be specific. <laughs> Say, oh, mummy. Oh, mummy. <laughs> okay, so, you know, there's been so much speculation on what is chateauetry, and coincidentally, we had asked you, our listeners, to send us some bad poetry. Poetry, so coincidental. I know. I mean, the, the universe is all in, in order. Mm -hmm. So we want to share those. We got a couple from listeners. Yes, so exciting. Then we decided, oh, we know some other bad. Yes. Uh, it's a Star Trek and Shatner poetry. Mm -hmm. Some written by us, some yes. written by other people, friends of ours. So we're going to share those. Oh, so exciting. And um, the poetry that I have is poetry I wrote so long ago, I don't even remember writing it. <laughs> and I'm reading, I'm like, oh, that was funny. I wrote a funny thing. <laughs> Yay. Okay, so we're going to start out with you guys. Yes. Guyses. Guyses. First one came from Cuvmo. Yes. And I want to read the little preface he gave to this, which I love. He says, I work with Tammy, the crazy lady from the last letter section that is madly giggling on her front porch. <gasps> oh, wow. That's so he's awesome. the one oh, who turned her on to okay, us. Okay, your fault. Good work. Uh -huh. And it says, and take full responsibility for her eventual commitment. Mm -hmm. So he wrote a haiku. Great. My William Shatner. Kirklight brightens my dull day. Sigh. Look at his butt. Oh, that's awesome. That is a wonderful <laughs> haiku. I may have to cross-stitch that on a sampler. Oh, I like the sigh. Yes. Yes. And it fulfills all the, the rules, you know, as far as yeah. syllables and everything. So mm -hmm. good, good. You get full credit on that one. Cuvmo. Mm -hmm. um, this... <laughs> First of all, the topic, it's from Mark Thomas. It says, homework, remedial poetry. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he apparently is quite serious about doing homework, so I love him. And I hope he continues listening uh -huh. forever and doing homework forever. It says, hello, LT and JK. I was worried about this month's assignment. <laughs> then it occurred to me that you asked for bad poetry. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is just the title's great. It's called Perspectives Anew. But a new is two words. Okay. A new. <laughs> okay, good. I like it already. Yes. As sorry, as straight guys go, I'm a Spock girl. I'll tell you what, though, loyalties unfurl as I hear you at look at his butt and do my best. MT. So it's unclear to me where the poem ends and the signature yeah. uh, begins, but I'm going to read that again. As straight guys go, I'm a Spock girl. I'll tell you what, though, loyalties unfurl as I hear you at look at his butt and do. I think that's it. You do look at his butt. That's beautiful. I like a that. A poem I had to read twice to get full meaning. Yeah. So... Full points on that. It's great. Well done indeed. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. Okay. Why don't you read some of, of your Well, I, I have poetry. two things to share here, and both of these are from the ancient past. This is probably 2001 or oh something God. like that. Oh, my God. So this was in the old, old, old days of Trekfest mm -hmm. when we were all... Uh, online a lot and participating and writing a lot of funny stuff for each other. We did. And we had a couple of haiku contests that were partly serious but partly funny. And people submitted all sorts of things. So one of them was suggested, uh, we had to do with them for different characters. Yes. So someone had written a poem about McCoy's catchphrase, the I'm a doctor, not a mm -hmm. whatever. 
So I wrote one that I called McCoy's Other Catchphrase. So this is haiku and it scans. Okay. He's dead, Jim. He's dead. Jim, he's dead. Jim, he's dead, Jim. He's really dead, Jim. <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. And then I wrote one about Mitchell. Yay! Okay. I don't remember this at all. This is Neither so did fun. I until I just so read it right exciting. now. Okay. So this is the and it doesn't have a title. It doesn't need a title. Kiss me. I'm a god. And I don't give a shit who knows it. <gasps> Top that, Kirk. <laughs> That is not, well, that is Mitchell slash Lockwood. Lockwood. Yes. yes. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> really beautiful. And now. Okay, uh, now. Shit. Um, what is this? Oh, that's not what I wanted. Oh, okay. Here is a short one that I wrote okay. back in 1997. Oh, my God. Okay. And I remember the circumstances under which I wrote Really? This. Okay. Yes, I was observing another trainer. Mm -hmm. So I just had to sit in class all day watching someone teach stuff I had taught mm -hmm. and then give him feedback. So, you know, I didn't have to exercise or anything, so I had plenty of time for my mind to do things. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a poem. Great. It's, it's Vulcan poetry. <gasps> and it's called The Donut Poem. Okay. Do I don't remember, remember this? I don't okay. remember this. This is a, um, a limerick. At a nudist colony I know, Jim ordered two cups of Joe. Then with neither hand free and without help from me, added one dozen donuts to go. <laughs> Later, we had lots of fun romping about in the sun. He cried out my name at the moment he came as I endeavored to eat the last one. Oh my God, that's so <laughs> funny. I don't remember that at all. Oh, those are awesome. Those are funny. Um, your poetry is available on your website, so we can yes. put up a link there. Yes, and um, I'm also gonna read one other thing of mine, and then we're gonna move on to another really fun poetry thing. But this is, I, um, I was really into writing haiku, I guess for the haiku contest. Yeah. And somebody had challenged us to write Shatner haiku, and I couldn't do it. But I could write Kirk haiku. Mm -hmm. So I wrote, it's, um, it's actually several haiku, or haikus, whatever the mm -hmm. plural may be. And each one is about Kirk, or about an episode, just trying to sum it up. So I'm gonna read some of those. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Shirt torn to the right. Basket shows he dresses left. Manhood set on stun. I remember that one. Okay. Captain James T. Kirk seeks strange new worlds and rocks mine. Risk is his business. <laughs> oh, I like this one. Jim, darling, says Ruth. Who is this moron, says I. Fast forward through her. <laughs> um, Kirk fights hand to hand. Shoulder roll useless but fun. Flying leg kick wins. <laughs> then we sort of get a little theme, theme going here. Dina of Scalos, Kirk on bed, pulling on boot. You know he did her. <laughs> Marlena Moreau, sexy in both universes. James T. did them both. I remember these very, very well. Amarind Maiden, I bear your child, she tells him. Honeymoon's over. <laughs> Never a Boy Scout, existence of young David, proves he did Carol. Let's see. Oops. Beautiful rom-com, Spock had a chance to do her. You know Kirk would have. And here is, I think this is my absolute favorite of mm -hmm. any poem I ever wrote. Miss Edith Keeler, Kirk loves her, car flattens her, stupid guardian. <laughs> Stupid guardian. That's the part. <laughs> Jillian Taylor, supposedly smart lady, turns down Kirk. Yeah, right. <laughs> Beautiful Helen, the Christmas party hottie. She wanted him bad. Dr. Jan Wallace, 
offers Kirk a pity fuck. Oh, please, <laughs> as if. Ex-girlfriend Ariel, minor action on the bridge. She begged him for it. Here's a couple you will like. I've forgotten these. Gary Stud Mitchell, checking out the space chicks. Yeah, I own this starship. I remember that one. Mitchell and Kirk fight. Pants tear and show Lockwood's butt. Oh, for an outtake. <laughs> Hold on, oops, let's see. For those of you who don't get the joke on that one, oh. it was because it was revealed. I don't know who said it, Sally Kellerman, that um, when they were filming that Lockwood wasn't wearing I think any it was. underwear. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm skipping around now because I'm just doing my favorites. Throbbing and surging. Are you like that, Captain Kirk? All together. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Medieval peasants, Klingons, Organians, war. Did I mention tights? Let's see. You've got a lot of those Oh, there. they were so easy to write. Oh, somebody really loved this one. I can't remember who. I mud. Him Chekhov. Jump, Chekhov. See, Chekhov, jump. <laughs> Monkey on a stick. I think Junk really liked that one. <laughs> Probably. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, Kirk says spank and brat. Episode 57. Can't type. Hands shaking. <laughs> Here's another one. That this one is actually true. A little known fact. Mira Romaine translates to look at the lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, final episode. Biggest EVE ever. Going out in style. Mm, absolutely. So um, that particular collection is called 575. Mm -hmm. And later when I checked, there are a couple that I screwed up. They're like 565, but who cares? It's supposed to be bad fan poetry. Well, we will certainly put up a link to that. Yes. And now... And now... One of my all-time favorites. This was a contest we held on Trek Fest mm -hmm. called the KS Squick Contest. Yep. It was sort of satirizing a contest that was held on Ask em, yeah. which was KS plus another character. Mm -hmm. So the, the Squick contest worked this way. We came up with this list of different pairings, like um, I'm going to read you some of the ones that nobody, nobody got assigned. KS instant mashed potatoes. <laughs> KS balloon animals. <laughs> KS whatever you had in your mouth the last time your mother said spit that out. You know, okay. So and most people, uh, there's like one, two, three, four, five, six of them. Mm -hmm. Very, very funny, clever, short mm -hmm. stories. You have to go read them. But Wildcat wrote a poem. A wonderful poem. And I'm, do you want to read this one? Oh, no, please go ahead okay. and read it. Okay, her challenge, first of all, I have to go back to read it, was, oh, she had a double challenge to do, or a triple challenge, K.S. Poodle, mm -hmm. Plomeek flavored jockstrap, and Big Stick. Mm -hmm. Quite a challenge. The name of this poem is You Are the Air Freshener of My Soul. <laughs> I can't believe we forgot that title when we were looking for this. I could have done without the dead mouse behind the pantry wall. It had begun to rot and decay much like my soul without you. I bought an air freshener, but a dead mouse is still a dead mouse even when it is wearing perfume. The clowns in their little cars have poodles, poodles like my love for you. They are fluffy and they yap, but they are beautiful, beautiful, sometimes golden, sometimes silver, sometimes an annoying orange color, but they are still beautiful. You are everything that is beautiful, James. You are a plomy-flavored jockstrap. You are a pinata that bursts, bursts, spewing good things over everyone within your proximity when whacked with a big <laughs> stick. I long to taste your plomeek, James. I long to touch your poodle. I will name it Lieutenant Lamore. 
I will whisper to it, to Hyla. I long to caress it and watch it dance only for me. I long to remove it from its uniform, to touch its curly balls. It will learn to salute me. I will call it my baby. And one day, I will see myself reflected in your eyes of hazel, spun with gold. And one day, your hair will be spun with silver. And I will be all, all, all to you. You are the air freshener of my soul. Yay. Just, oh. you know, brings a tear to your eyes. Oh. So it's so wonderful and heartfelt and captures so much about KS. It does. It really does, actually. Oh, so funny. Yep. So, so funny. I, I had totally forgotten about the poodles and the pinata <laughs> and, oh, my God. <clears throat> and the dead mouse. And the dead mouse. <laughs> yep. So I think that wraps our poetry segment, Oh, I think that not? does wrap it. I think that wraps the show, actually. Okay. Let's so go out on that Let's note. go out in, in style. Um, next time, we'll have more of the usual, plus the Etsy segment and everything else that we normally And we're going to watch some stuff. We are going to watch some stuff, so be prepared for that. If you have more poems that you would like to contribute, please send them in. Yes. This is certainly not the only time we're up for reading poetry. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll seek out some more of the poetry from the old Trek Fest days, because there were other things. There were other things, but um, also the standard has been set very high, I yes, think, yes. by uh, Cuvmo and Mark. Yep. But do not hesitate. Remember, it's bad poetry. Bad poetry. We're not interested in, in your, your, your wonderful way with words and deep thoughts and no. everything, remember. Yeah, we so. want poetry about balloons and clowns and poodles and... <laughs> Dead mice, maybe. Scrub women. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can do haikus, that's good. But it doesn't have to be a haiku. No, and if you want to write something that, that rhymes, if you, want, if you want a big challenge, write a bad sonnet. Write a bad sonnet. Write, if you write a limerick, though, it has, to be, it has to scan. Yes. If you write a limerick and it doesn't scan, we won't read it. Yeah. I am really tired of people writing limericks that don't scan. Okay. It's a pet peeve of mine. Okay. Yeah. All right, so we'll be putting up links to the various things. And again, I urge you to go read the various things written for the Squick Fest. Yes. Because... They will make you laugh. I remember just screaming with laughter over some of them. So (laughs) I'm going to go back and reread them, too. All right. You will all enjoy them. And send us your comments. Yes, please. And if you want to write a Squick, let us know. We'll assign you a a KS pairing. Yes. If you want to write a Squick... Go for it. We're, we're, we're down for that. No problemo. All right. Okay. All right, listeners. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. Goodbye. Bye.